Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Monica Gowarden to the podcast today. Monica is a chef, food writer and best-selling author. She's written three books, Indian Kitchen, Tali, and her latest Tandoori Home Cooking is out now. Welcome, Monica. Thank you, Janine, for having me. Thanks for coming to join us and talk all things Tandoori today. So excited. I know. Um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the new book? Because it's quite unusual, isn't it, at Tandoori Cooking, but done at home. Mm. There's never really been a book that kind of, you know, puts a standpoint or a viewpoint on tandoori cooking. Yeah. And for me, really, that was the essence, the catalyst and the inspiration to think that actually, if we can't actually hold these recipes together, because it's great to have the one recipe in the odd book, because a lot of cookbooks will have a chicken tikka here or a paneer kebab here, whatever. Mm. I think to have a whole book like that and to be able to have the privilege of writing a book like this with over 90 recipes. I think it takes a lot, but I also feel like it kind of gives, you know, um, readers a chance to identify with what the history is, where these recipes come from, the regionality of them, the influence of them, how cooking techniques vary. And also sometimes realize that ingredients are not really all, you know, kind of very straightforward. Like, for instance, why do we use dried cumin and, you know, dried mango powder at the end to garnish? Why? Or what does it really lend? Or, you know, sharing some tips and tricks on how to get, you know, the actual amazing flavor of tandoori cooking in your own homes. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. So I think for me, that really was the inspiration and the catalyst of doing this. And I feel like I, I, I say this really loosely, but I do think very strongly this this is something that was a long time coming. There was a book in the 1990s that was actually written on Tandoor um, by Ranjit Ra, and it was actually a very, very lovely book. But I feel like, you know, in essence, that book is out of print now. Yeah, it's a long time. It's a long it's time. It's a long time. It's a long, and we don't yeah. think about it, like, no. especially at my age, I don't. But the thing is, right, nobody really has kind of put it down on paper and said, here's a book yeah. with all the tandoori recipes you need. Yeah. There's salads to a company. There's some amazing breads you can yeah. try and you can make it in your conventional ovens. So I think that was really the attempt and, you know, the reason for and doing I think, it. And you've done it and you've done it amazingly well. Thank you. I mean, let's talk about the big thing, which is, you know, it's tandoori cooking, but we don't have a tandoor. Yeah. But actually, um, we've got amazing ovens these days which go up to to mad high temperatures Mm. um an interesting thing that people might not know which you've talked about before is that in india it's just not common to have an oven at all (laughs) and you didn't have an oven until you came to the uk so so you have read the book then (laughs) (laughs) okay so let me first start off by saying um you know a lot of people say well you're calling it tandoori home cooking you're not cooking a tandoor but it's not just about the tan it's not just about the equipment it's about everything around it's about everything around it but But one of the reasons I want to start with that is the essence of actually understanding that tandoori cooking can actually be be made in your conventional ovens is that the heat pattern you find in a tandoor is very similar to the the one you find in an oven. Okay. If you look at a tandoor, it's normally oval shaped. Mm. Yeah. It's made of clay. 
it's held together by straw. Now, what happens, Janine, is at the base of the tandoor, um, the heat is the highest. Yeah. And in the middle, it kind of is really good, you know, kind of solid medium heat. Yeah. And at the top, it's there, the heat's there, but it's not as much as it would be lower down. So sometimes you realize if you watch, you know, in, in like curry houses or restaurants, you know, or even street stalls, they'll take breads and they'll stick it on the sides yeah, of that. the clay oven. One of the reasons for that is breads in the, in the tandoor will cook really quickly. Mm. But also the heat around the top half is really not as high as the bottom half. Yeah. But the minute you actually take a long metal skewer and you put chicken on it or lamb or, or any kind of vegetables and you skewer that down in, a, in the clay oven, what tends to happen is, and I'm just trying to talk about the whole idea of how it works mm. and how the flavor really goes into a tandoor and how to replicate that in the oven. Yeah. So when you put the skewer into the oven, into the tandoor, you know, you see the chicken is kind of, you know, piled up on the skewer. Yeah. So it's going all the way down. So what's really happening is you have all the juices from the chicken or any kind of vegetable kind of dripping right to the bottom. So, you you know, you'll realize at the start of the skewer, they don't really put as much. They'll thread it all across the middle section. Oh, okay. And with the juices dripping down, those juices will also hit the coal right at the bottom. So once the juice hits the coal you get this lovely sizzle. It's like smoky sizzle. Smoky yeah. sizzle. And that smoke is absorbed by the food. Nice. So what that is doing is it's flavoring the food. Yeah. Okay, so now that's something you think, well, how am I supposed to do that in an oven? So when I actually think about the whole idea of actually cooking something like this in the oven or even in a grill, I think the main thing is when you stick it in the oven, you have a lovely balanced heat pattern in the yeah. middle of your oven. You're sticking your skewers. And this is the one thing I say as a holy grail. And I tell everybody who's actually listening to the mm. podcast or even, you know, cooking from Tandoori Home Cooking is always make sure you have either a baking tray or a roasting uh, tin with a wire, wire rack on it. Yeah, so you can so the heat can go all the way around your skewer. First and foremost, the heat can go all the way around your sk yeah. skewer. So you're giving it a 360 heat. Yeah. But the second thing is, if you stick a skewer with chicken or lamb or whatever it is onto a baking tray yeah. or inside a roasting tin, what you don't want is you don't want that to kind of stew or kind of bubble and simmer on the roasting tray. Right. You want it to drip. Yeah. Okay, so sticking a wire rack and then sticking the skewer on top of it helps that all the juices to go at the bottom of the tray. Right. And you want that to happen because you want the flavor to kind of come out all the way yeah. through. So cooking in the oven means you're doing it in a, at a really regulated temperature. Yeah. And then what you're doing through the cooking process is you're basting it. But the other way of basting is, of course, when I actually use tips and tricks, things like you know, using a smoke butter, which I'm sure we can talk about. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of techniques. So I yeah. think w when you're basting it with any kind of fat, mm. um, you're doing exactly what is is being replicated in a tandoor. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, setting the grill, for instance, if you're not using the oven, using the grill, and setting the grill on, on a ha slightly higher temperature. I feel like that grill setting gives it a lovely charred, smoky nice, flavor on yeah. it, and you're looking for that. Yeah. Um, any kind of marinade that goes on it. So I, I feel there's a lot of similarities in, in the way you cook, but it, it has essentially, Janine, got to be about the technique. Yeah, I, and I want to talk a lot about those techniques because as I was reading the book and going through all of the recipes and seeing things that were kind of, you know, little 
tips and things that were repeated. Yeah. I, I was thinking, oh, God, yeah, of course, it's not just about the heat. It's about everything that you do. That's right. To the, the preparation and the methods and everything to get to that, to get to that. Um, well, let's talk about the importance of marinades because mm. you... you um, it's my favourite topic. And I love it. <laughs> and, and I was reading it, I was like, this is great. And especially double marinating. Mm. So come on, tell us about that. Okay, so <laughs> as a rule of thumb, I always say um, you need some sort of a binder for marinades. Yeah. And I, to- I think I've spent like probably a whole page in the book just talking about how to get the perfect marinade. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes if it's too runny and too thin, like I get people saying to me, well, can we use uh, zero fat yogurt? No. You could. You could. But just bear in mind that you will need something to thicken that. Yeah. Okay. So the reason for using full fat, rich, creamy yogurt is because you wanted to cling to the, yeah. you know, to the vegetables, to the paneer, to the chicken. You wanted to cling, the, you want the marinade to cling to it. If the marinade is too runny and it cooks, mm. there's zero flavor. If the marinade is too thick, that also means that the marinade will actually coat any kind of ingredient you're adding, but it won't cook it really well yeah. because the insides need to really cook and you don't want it to be far too rich and far too thick. Yeah. So what I tend to do is, so in India, they would use something called as hung curd, traditionally. And hung curd is what it simply says. Oh, like hung, um, so you drained yogurt. Drained yogurt, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you drain the yogurt and you do it overnight. Yeah. And it becomes this rich, gorgeous, creamy consistency. Yeah. I, ideally, I think when I talk about marinades, the one thing I have to say is people tend to dollop like a good four or five tablespoons of yogurt. And I'm like, uh-uh, don't do that. I'm like, you want rich, thick yogurt? Yeah. Only put two tablespoons. Oh, really? So yeah. you want the spices to be the thing You that... want the littlest amount of yeah. yogurt, you want more spicing, Yeah. and you want more butter. So the yogurt's like the binder and the protecting That's it. thing. Your yogurt is only a vehicle to making the marinade come together. Yeah. Y- yogurt is not the main aspect of the marinade. Okay. okay. So you've got the yogurt. But the other part of the binding is what you need, which is going to be a thickening agent. Yeah. So let's go back to saying somebody wants to say, well, they want to use Greek yogurt. Great. But if somebody says they want to use zero fat yogurt, that's great, too. But what you need is a binding agent. And when you talk about binding agent, that could be corn flour. Mm. That could be gram flour, which I use quite a lot of yeah. in this book as well. Gram flour essentially is chickpea flour. It's a gluten free flour. And it's great because, again, if you're arbitrary if you're actually taking two tablespoons of Greek yogurt Mm. and you're putting uh, one heaped teaspoon of gram flour to the yogurt whisk it really well make sure there's no lumps because you know gram flour can actually have a few lumps so you whisk that really well and you get this lovely thick rich you know clingy sort of marinade and now you go in with all your flavor pairings so you'll add your chili, you'll add your cumin, you'll add your coriander, you'll add your garam masala, whatever it is, yeah. garlic, ginger, green chilies, you know, crushed down. I don't use a double marinade for everything, but that is a key, I think, to actually kind of amping up your flavor. Now, vegetables like aubergine, I love them. Yeah. But let's be honest, when you actually put them in a marinade and then you skewer them, there is a good chance that you'll actually get the flavor on the outside, yeah, but-, but there's nothing happening on the inside. The other reason is like if I'm doing a chicken tikka and I want really more flavor and I want to kind of boost yeah. the flavor up. So in essence, Janine, double marinade is 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 nothing but it's a really, really simple equation. So if I were to make a tandoori chicken tikka yeah. recipe, I would double up the marinade quantity. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you double up the marinade quantity. What are we using? Times that by two. So then now you've got this huge batch of marinade, not huge, but a medium-sized batch of marinade. You put your chicken in one bowl and put half the marinade on the chicken. And you leave that to uh, kind of marinate overnight or whatever you want, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. And then what you do is you actually, once the chicken starts to cook in the oven, Mm -hmm. the remainder of the marinade, you stick it in a pan over a hob. And you cook it down. Oh, I see. So you're reducing that down. So there's an aubergine tikka in here, which I do the, do a similar thing with, but mm-hmm. that's not a tandoor. Like it's not it's not like a red marinade. It's a, like a yo- yellow marinade, but it's it's amazing. So it's fennel, mustard, and green chili marinade. Mm, but yes. you you kind of stir that down and you cook it really nicely, so it reduces and it thickens. Yeah. Then if the aubergines are in the, in, the, in the oven, you take them out, you baste them a few times with butter. Stick them back in, let them cook. Yeah. Once they're done, they'll go. They'll go lovely charred flavor. But sometimes there's a lot of vegetables. You realize even things like cauliflower and stuff that they dry out quite <laughs> a lot. So then you, once it's cooked, you take it out, and this marinade that you actually have put in on the hob, mm. yeah, it's reduced down. So stick that in a bowl, in a large bowl, yeah, and then add your aubergine to it. Stir that really well. Add a pinch of chaat masala. Add a you know a small tablespoon of butter. Yeah. Give that a good stir, and that's your and double marinade. So you're basically so punching those flavors. Punching those flavors it. while it's cooking. Punching those flavors <laughs> when it's actually you know finished. So it's 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 a twofold effect really. Yeah. So you're getting flavor like all over. Wow. <laughs> I want to talk about another one of your favorite um, subjects, and I'm going to get this wrong, the, the dunga technique. Dunga. Dunga. <laughs> um, so I don't know if, so when I actually did uh, my cookbook thalis, yeah. I've used the dunga method. So uh, for anybody who doesn't have context to what dunga is, essentially dunga is when you actually smoke any kind of gravy or dish. So when you do a gravy or a biryani or whatever you're making, um, you normally take a small bowl and you stick, you you heat up. Um, in the bowl itself, you add a, maybe a couple of cloves. Yeah. And separately, you heat up a piece of coal on a hob. So on a really high heat, heat up the coal. And it almost starts to kind of go like glowing. Like glowing. Yeah. Right, yeah. I like um, lampu charcoal because that's really good for something like this. You have to choose something that's that's kind of food safe, don't you? As it in, is. Yeah, so. And I also think lampu has a lot of flavor, yeah, okay. which is what it actually lends yeah. to what we're doing right yeah. now. So once that's really hot and searing, you add the charcoal once it's heated up to that bowl with the cloves. Then you stick a small portion of butter in there. And the minute you put the butter in there, the butter will start to melt and smoke. Wow. Then you take that bowl and you make a little little like a, a little dip in your curry, in your gravy, in your biryani. Or you can even do that to uncooked chicken or lamb in a marinade. Yeah. So just stick it in the middle. Just make a little space and stick it there and put a lid on. Now, all that smoke is actually lending a lot of flavor to the dish that you're actually yeah. putting it in. So normally you would leave there, leave it there for at least 15, 20 minutes. And after that, when you open the lid, there's no smoke left. So it's literally the smoke's kind of been soaked up by 
Wow. All of that. So that, in essence, is what dhungar is. They do that for dals. It's very popular for dal. Nice. So like for a smoky, you know, like um, black dal. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really popular one to do it for. Biryanis is really popular. Butter chicken, a lot of people do it for butter chicken yeah. as well. So I, <laughs> I, you, you got to, in the in the book you go a bit further with your smoke butter. Don't I go you? a little crazy. So what I did, I was thinking she's mad. This no, but I, I just think like, I mean, the endeavor really, Janine, is to be able to give that smoky flavor to tandoori dishes. Yeah. So here I'm thinking, how can I batch make smoked dungar butter? Mm. So I thought, let me just give it a go. So here's my process, and this is what I do. So the same principle would apply. I melt like a lot of butter in mm. a saucepan, just melt it and keep it ready. And you don't add any spices or anything to it. You literally just heat your coal up, and you can get a sli- slightly bigger size of coal rather than a smaller one because you know for a dungar you do a smaller piece of coal because it's a small quantity. Yeah. This is a big batch of butter, so I normally do it with like one whole block or two blocks. And then you heat the coal until it's like nicely glowing, and then you stick that coal in the butter, and then it starts to kind of smoke up, and it it lends flavor to the butter. Okay. Now you'll see it'll kind of starts doing its thing, so you stick a lid on it. Don't keep looking at it, and don't even try and open it. So once you've done that, leave it there for at least again twenty minutes, half an hour. Then uh, you take a sieve which is lined with some muslin, and you sieve out any of the kind of residue of the coal. And you get this lovely, like, liquid gold. But honestly, it has the most amazing wow. and insane smoky flavor. And then that's like your shortcut to the smoky flavor. That is the shortcut dishes. to the smoky flavor. So what you're essentially doing is that you can refrigerate that. Yeah. And when you cook your, you know, kind of paneer or you're cooking your fish kebabs or you're cooking your chicken kebabs, mm. you literally are like basting it with the smoked butter. Wow. And that's what you want. And you, you know, that that will keep for weeks on end in yeah. the refrigerator. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But also the other thing is, because a lot of people say to me, like, I've, I've been doing the book tour in the last two months and people said, oh, my God, can we use the smoked butter for other things? Yeah. You can. So like, say, for instance, if you make a curry, yeah. finish making the curry and then add maybe a teaspoon or two teaspoons of the smoked butter right at the end. Okay, so you get that lovely smoky flavor, that, that aroma that comes through. Gorgeous. So yeah, it's very versatile as an yeah. ingredient. You can use it on breads as well. Yeah. This is such a great tip as well for just getting that tandoor flavor yeah. into your cooking. And without. I think it's not something that's well known. Mm. And I think, you know, if you, the, the, these are this, the double marination technique or having a smoked butter are little ways to actually be able to get the very same essence of the flavor that we have experienced, you know, when I was growing up or when we were actually at, you know, through our travels or, you know, all of that. And I think it's really important to be able to kind of convey that because there's no good just having a book and saying, here are your tandoori recipes. But how do we replicate the flavor? I mean, the the crucial thing is your heat pattern. You also need to make sure that you're, you know, you got a good amount of fat to baste it and you've got a great marinade. marinade. Let's talk a bit about spices. Um, because you are the queen of spice. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, like, within it, I was finding, I, I, I found a few patterns. One thing was um, finishing spices, like mm. amchur and chat masala, you know, things to sprinkle on. Yeah. Um, and I know you said that you love pomegranate powder and mustard oil in tandoori dishes as well. So, so there's things that uh, come up again and again in tandoori cooking, spice-wise. Yeah. I think... Um, through any part of my work, the one thing I've always said is the flavor that you get from ground spices mm. versus what you get from coarsely crushed spices is completely different. Yeah. So I feel very strongly about that. So even like if we go back to the same recipe of Kandhari um, lamb, tikkas, 
um, the cumin that I use is coarsely crushed cumin. Now, so the mix is coarsely crushed cumin, black pepper, and dried mango powder. And that gets sprinkled at the end yeah. before you serve it. So it's almost like this like tangy, warm, smoky flavor mm. that you get when you when these spices hit the lamp. Um, it's really, the, 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 the mix I've mentioned is really common. Cumin is bringing in the warmth, okay, and a lovely kind of roasted flavor. Yeah. Black pepper is bringing in the heat. And the dried mango powder is giving you that, you know, zing and the yeah. essence of that sourness that you're really craving. Because don't forget, a lot of these recipes sometimes can be quite sort of full of flavor, but also feel quite rich. Yeah. So you need something that will actually cut through it. You can add things like lemon juice and lime juice. But I think the two main ones which you've hit the note correctly is your dried mango powder and your chaat masala. Yeah. Now, chaat masala you can add even on fruit. Yeah. Okay, so we normally in India we'd add chaat masala on fruit and then add some black salt to it and eat it like that. Yeah. I think that's where people might, <coughs> you know, who aren't familiar with um, Indian cooking, mm. it, it might be unusual for them to think about adding spices mm. at the end, end, you know, but... But, you know, without all of your cooking, you said it's all about the layers and layers and layers of flavor. And, and then you're finishing off. With yeah, these. I think, see, the most common thing I, I think I assume people know in the West is using garam masala, garam masala right yeah. at the end. Yeah. Now, not everything needs to be roasted, you know, heavily. You can just like, for instance, the coarsely crushed cumin. If I just crush it in my vessel and water, yeah. I'm kind of releasing the essential oils while I'm crushing. Mm. So what that's doing is it's actually making it w do its work. So it's actually releasing the flavor, all the aroma. So you'll be able to smell it. It's got yeah, a lovely heady lovely. smell. So that coarseness, along with the crushed coarse black pepper, mm. you know, gives you that flavor. And you know, mango powder, chaat masala can be used just as is. Yeah, but. The essence of adding any of these right at the end is also, you know, when you actually get served a tikka, sometimes it's just nice to pick up a nice, I don't know, this is just me, but <laughs> a, a nice piece of chunky, fatty lamb yeah. with like all its spices intact and all the flavor there. Yeah. What you don't want is a drippy kind of marinade that's oozing down. Yeah, absolutely. So when you add the spices at the end, it gives it that dry rub almost. Nice. Which yeah. is quite nice. So when you bite into it, you're getting the flavor of the spices along with the lamb. Yeah. And I think for me, that's really where kind of it lies. So even adding, you know, whether it's you're adding garam masala at the end or if you're just using chaat masala. So when I do the chicken tikka, for instance, just brush it with a, a ton of chaat masala, put a little bit of chili powder on it. Yeah. You know, just you don't have to cook the chili powder or anything. Just a tiny sprinkle. I mean, I use Kashmiri chili powder, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it is a lovely powder. smoky flavor. So it's really high in color, but it's really low in intensity yeah. of heat. So I think that's really important. But I think, you know, I mean, you want those dry spices to kind of do their thing. But the other secret ingredient, which it's not even secret anymore. I think a lot of people use it anyways. But I think the idea of like using mustard oil. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny because like a lot of my friends, you know, Bengali friends used to use it from the time we were younger. And it's a really kind of sharp, pungent flavor. Now, um, nowadays you can find it more commonly in a lot of places. But, you know, generally you'll find it in a lot of Asian stores yeah. as well. The thing about mustard oil is you when, when I normally cook with it, I will actually make sure it comes to smoking point. So I'm releasing all kind of the essential oils yeah, okay. and then reducing that and then just bringing the temperature slightly lower. Sure. But in essence, what you want to do is you want to use the mustard oil to give that sense of pungency because mustard oil doesn't just give um, 
a flavor it also gives a lovely color yeah. so um there is a achari murtikka which is so achari is pickling spices that's my that's one of my favorite curries of yours the achari uh, the achari murk yeah but yeah. this is a tikka Yeah, but even so in, the, in the same blend the of same spices, blend of si- yeah. spices, but in a tikka. But in this, in the marinade for this tikka, Janine, I would add a tablespoon of mustard oil. Oh, okay, because again, mustard oil essentially is used as a preservative in Indian cooking. So, for instance, if you're doing pickles, you would use mustard yeah. oil because it helps preserve it for that much longer. Um, you know, if you're actually adding it, I normally add it even to things like relishes and dips, because it gives that really sharp, lovely flavor. Yeah. But then the other way to add is add it in marinades because it gives a color. So, say for instance, we have sa- if I mean this is this recipe that I'm mentioning is not even in the book, but just <laughs> randomly, you you take some yogurt, yeah, you add one tablespoon of I don't know um, mustard oil to it, add a pinch of turmeric, ginger, garlic paste, mm-hmm. and add some like green chili, like j- green chili paste. Mix, mix, mix. Pinch, pinch of salt. Add your salmon chunks to it. So salmon is really kind mm. of oily fish and a fatty fish. But the mustard oil and the green chili will cut through it and give it that lovely pungency that you're really looking for. Wow! So I think it's stuff like that you kind of want to think about. How else can I use yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. So I think also like sometimes you realize you pick up a certain ingredient and you don't actually have any other uses apart from the one recipe you tried in in a so and so book. Yeah. So I just. Want to make it that much more versatile, really? Yeah, let's talk about some of the recipes in the book. I just want to highlight a few of my favourites <laughs> that I've got, um, you know, like marked up to make. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Merg Malai Tikka mm. because it's got a secret ingredient in it: the cheddar. Oh my god! Is that really a secret? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this- I wouldn't expect to have cheddar cheese in a. In a marinade. Okay, so <laughs> this is again going back to the idea of creating a really good marinade mm. base. Okay, and I think, um, I mean, I I know a lot of people will be using this sort of a thing, a marinade with cheddar in India. They'll yeah. be doing it, and so probably somebody say, well, it's not such a big deal. But the 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 way I actually learned it or found out about it was uh, my cousin in Bombay. Uh, years ago, I think about ten years ago, had invited us to her house. Yeah, and she made tangri kebab, and tangri is leg, so it's like drumsticks. But she cooked them in her. Um, she had like this little oven toaster grill, which they call OTG, and it's only like come out like in the last few years, which is quite <laughs> a big deal. But yeah, again, going back to that, we didn't have yeah. ovens, yeah. so you know, we she used to sometimes do it on a frying pan. But when she used to make her marinade, Janine, she would actually make the marinade with the cheese, and then stuff. She would put slits, uh, cuts on the drumsticks, mm-hmm. and then stuff the uh, the cuts with the marinade. Wow. So the cheese would go inside oh, the God. slits. It's making me so hungry. <laughs> so basically, when it would cook, yeah, that cheese would just melt. So the minute you're biting into that chicken, yeah. you got the stringy cheese that she would actually put in there. And I was like, "What have you done?" She's like, "I can't tell you." I'm like, "I'll figure it out." <laughs> So that was the first introduction. I mean, I've had it before, but mm-hmm. I think I, I didn't think about it properly as much. But that 
experience of eating at her, her house actually yeah. left a massive imprint on the way she thought wow like you know it's doing something yeah so when you talk about marinades actually having that lovely flavor that grips your that, ingredient yeah, I was thinking that you I'd need like something that, so it. so this for instance when i talk about binders i'm talking about greek yogurt i'm talking about corn flour Yeah, yep. tick, tick, tick. But you also want something that actually lends flavor yeah. and that lovely kind of salty flavor as well. So the cheddar actually is in the marinade. It thickens the marinade, marinade really well. But when it starts to cook, is where the magic happens. Yeah. So what it does essentially is you actually see the chicken starting to cook, but the cheddar will just start to melt over the chicken. So along with the spices, and I normally, I mean, I've added green chili in this one, but I normally go like a little crazy, and I, I will normally add at least about. I think four or five green chilies. Oh, right. Okay, so it's quite yeah. got a good robust good flavor because I mean, murg means chicken. Yeah, malai means creamy. Okay. And tikka is, of course, morsels of food. So murg, when you say murg malai tikka, if you're looking for that creamy flavor, I mean, yes, it has the yogurt and the double cream, but how is that going to kind of replicate itself when you serve the dish? Yeah. And I think that's what does it. But see, even over here at the end, you're finishing it off with dried garam masala and chaat masala, yeah. which is you know what you really want. Yeah. So you know, perfect. I, this is actually one of the things I actually I say, say one of the reasons I think I've added this recipe first is because I just thought it's a great way to actually get people to introduce people to trying something yeah. that's actually full of flavor, exactly. but still quite creamy. Yeah. Um, another one I want. I know you're a massive fan of a lamb chop. <laughs> It's one of Monica's favorite, but I I get it because if you think about lamb chops, like mm. the meat on the, the stru- bone, the structure of the meat on the bone, a nice bit of fat. I mean, I'm a, a nice, carnivore. Like, yeah, but also, so you can you can just no imagine picking it. it up and gnaw it into it. Yeah, I, and I'm not ashamed of that. I just yeah, think why like, should you think? and Something I think like, proud of. I I think I have to no, I I do feel very strongly about the fact that I. I understand very well that I, you know, I think that's also based on the diet that you have. I grew up on a very meat and fish heavy diet yeah. when I was younger. It was part of our culture. I come from a CKP household in Maharashtra. Maharashtrians, and you know, we live in the west of India, and you know, in in, in Bombay, it's a coastal city. Yeah. So fish, it was all brimming in my home. Like a mutton curry on a Sunday with some rice was like heaven. Yeah. You know, some days, you know, my mother would make a crab curry. So it's it was all of that, Janine. So I grew up on that kind of a diet. And yes, most weeks we would like during the week we'd have vegetarian food like you know on Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays or whatever. But generally it was always like you know mutton curry for lunch yeah. or like you know something else for dinner, chicken curry for dinner. Yeah. And yeah, I mean when you go back to this recipe of the chap masala, I have to be honest. This is not, I can't take credit for this. This was essentially something my mother would cook when oh. I was younger, and I. Honestly, like everybody who's tried this recipe or has come to my house and eaten it from my mother, yeah. I mean, I rem- you know it's so funny because I've been in food for eighteen years now, yeah. and I've done cookery classes for the best part of eighteen years, and a lot of the times, even in the formative years for cookery classes. I'd finish showing them two, three dishes to cook, and yeah. I'd actually make this on the side and keep it ready so that it was ready to serve along with the main courses of curries. And every, I kid you not, every <laughs> single person coming, can we have the recipe for the chops? And I always thought to myself, maybe one day I'll share it. Maybe one day I'll share it. <laughs> and now you have. And now, and now I have. And yeah, again, I mean, if you go back to the list of ingredients, very unusual. Yeah. So. Um, the idea of actually having some something something that's kind of thick like a marinade, so the chili garlic sauce actually lends something really lovely to it yeah. because that actually coats the lamb really well. And then once it's cooking, it actually kind of starts to kind of form a, a sort of a, a thin crust over yeah, the lamb. Nice. So when you're biting into it, you get the lovely so like chili garlic flavor. It as well, yeah. Um, when we go 
and we talk about something like Worcestershire sauce. I have to be honest, that is something... So I, I have spoken about this before on your podcast and even in my books and even when I've done events and stuff. I grew up in a household that was very influenced on numerous occasions with um, communities that filled our life, you know, luckily um, from the Parsi families and Parsi yeah. communities. So that is an ingredient, Worcestershire sauce, which is actually quite pro- prolific and pro- predominant in Parsi communities. Okay. So I think that's essentially come from the influences of the British days in India. Yeah. But they adopted it. And a lot of the times they would also add it to things like minced lamb curry, um, you know, when they're actually making you know, eggs. So it was it was always part, yeah. like it's there. So it's I, I think even some somebody who looks at the recipe, there's not that many ingredients, but it, it's really unusual to have something like that as part of it. Yeah. But that was such an influence. And it, of course, it gives a lovely umami flavor. Yeah. But it was such a major part of it that there was always a bottle in a house. Yeah, <laughs> But again, I think... It, I th- you know, I suppose that's down to influences yeah. because the Parsis were obviously synonymous in cities of Gujarat and even, you know, in Maharashtra. But if you go to some other place like in the north, the east of India, there's, you know, they won't even have a bottle of Worcestershire sauce. They won't even know what to do with it. Yeah. So I think that just based on the influences and we, I mean, I, I say we, but as a family, we added, I, I love, added to I everything. I love the fact that you've included that finally and that was your mum's kind of, you know, famous recipe. And <laughs> I can tell people now where to find the yeah. find the recipe. Another one and, and as a counterpoint and just to prove that you do love veg. <laughs> I do I'm love I'm just going to highlight this one because mm. this is an absolute stunner. This is whole roast cauliflower mm. in a creamy coconut chili. It's got like a saffron infused gravy. So yeah. you, you marinate the whole collie and spices and then you roast it and baste it with the saffron infused coconut gravy, which just sounds unbelievable. I think the endeavor, Janine, from the start has always been to get people to understand tandoori food isn't yeah. just about being meat heavy. Yeah. And it's, it is different to barbecued food. And also a book like this is something, if you're cooking in a conventional oven, you can do it all year round. Yeah. And you want some sense of ease when you cook some of these dishes. Mm. You want to be able to go, okay, I have a whole roast cauliflower. I don't have to chop it. I don't have to cut it. I literally just have to stick it in a baking dish along with the marinade. So the marinade's got coconut, it's got saffron, it's got spices, it's got chili. And you just keep basting halfway through the cooking. And also because a cauliflower just in its makeup is, Mm. it's got all the little crags and things, hasn't it? So you can get the marinade in there and get the gravy in there. But when you, the thing is, when when you marinate it, it won't actually seep in there. It's when it's cooking, cooking it. and you're basting it that yeah. it starts to seep oh, in there. Okay. Nice. But the other thing is you could do is actually brush it with some smoked butter as well. Yeah. The influences of this recipe are essentially the fact that you have, you know, dishes like this that were extremely ostentatious mm. running all the way through the Mughal Empire. And that's the other reason when I talk about things like the Murg Masalam, which is a stuffed chicken with a stuffed, you know, chicken mince and stuffed eggs. I think they had such ostentatious dishes. And the one thing I have to say, which I did want to mention is, um, they were one of the first people to actually travel with portable tandoors. So there were certain dishes, like even the tandoori gobi or the marmusalam, which they really loved. Yeah. But when they go to war, they still want their royal kitchen staff yeah. to be with them, carry portable tandoors, and cook the kind of dishes they, that they were you know, so used to eating. 
But the best part of doing that was when they started taking those portable tandoors across India, that kind of left its standpoint yeah, and like, influence in different regions. I love that. So they left it behind. And they left it, it behind. Yeah, yeah. So like you look at a, the Kolapuri community, the Maharashtrian community in the west of India. Yeah. yeah. They fought a lot of battles with the Mughals coming from the north. Yeah. And of course, there was a lot of blurred boundaries in terms of what was actually kind of shared in terms of the ingredients that were used or even food that we, the, you know, people were eating back in the day. Yeah. So I think there's always a, a standpoint of where historically everything comes from. Yeah. And I think tandoors did definitely do that, not just for India, but I mean, the first time I think the tandoor was actually mentioned in the UK was 1968, yeah. where the Good Food Guide actually said um, it was, I think... Um, uh, gay lords, if I'm not mistaken, was actually cooking uh, something. They, they they named it chicken masal, and a, a type of flatbread which was actually cooked in uh, in, a, in in an underground clay. Oh, amazing! So I think it's you know it 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 made its way even yeah. from India to the UK oh, yeah, I mean, for the first time. Yeah. So I think like you realize that there's so many historical you know nuances. But I think when you go back to the gobi tandoor, which is a whole roasted cauliflower, I think there's a beauty in roasting it whole. You don't even take the stems out, to be honest. The yeah. leaves are great because the thing is, once they start to wilt, they, they actually char and they go lovely like brown and speckly yeah. when they cook. So it's just gorgeous. Just, just serve the whole thing, you know, in a big tray wow. on a center table. But when I talk about vegetarian food, the one thing I, I mean, just on the next page, in fact, just really quickly is that that other recipe, which is stuffed peppers, and it's actually stuffed with um, garlicky spiced potatoes. Yeah, that's like we put that in olive. Actually, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a winner. Yeah. Um, and I do say that in the recipe as well. The peppers we get in India are superbly small; they're tiny. So when my mother used to make them, she'd just keep them whole and just kind of cut the top oh, okay. off, and then stuff it on top down. And we didn't have an oven, so she would pan fry them and grill them, and then stick a lid to steam them yeah, and then get a lovely charred flavor at the bottom of the pepper. But because these are the peppers you get in, in England are quite large, I've halved them mm-hmm. and then you stuff it. Yeah. So the stuffing is just spicy potatoes, but the stuffing has amchur, which is mango powder. Yeah. So even the potato gives a lovely like tangy sour flavor. Gorgeous. And you just grill those. Yeah. So I think it's such a... And you know, this is the one thing I've had feedback from a lot of people is that they're loving the fact that there's so many fresh salads there's so many vegetarian dishes, paneers, cauliflower, aubergines, peppers. Mm. There's a lot to pick and choose from. So, yeah, I'm very happy that they're happy. Okay. Well, it's a beautiful book. And I'm going to give you the task now of say, of telling people if they were going to start with one recipe in here, which one should they cook? Oh, God, <laughs> that is such a hard one. Um, I don't know. Are we looking at somebody who's a novice cook or somebody who's like... Say middling, middling. <laughs> Some, someone who can cook, basically. Okay, I would say zafrani paneer tikka. Oh, nice. Okay, so zafran is saffron, yeah, paneer, and you know tikka. So it's a saffron infused tikka with um, green chili, uh, garlic, and yogurt. So one of the reasons I love this dish is because I really love saffron. Mm. You don't need a lot; a little goes a long way in this recipe. But also the marinade is is kind of what kind of sets it apart from. So it's, it's actually crushed green chilies, and I think I find that green chilies almost are like an afterthought hot in Indian cooking so you don't have to add them whole when you crush them that's where the magic really is and I would say serve this uh, zafrani saffron paneer tikka with my spicy green chili chutney because that's the flavor bomb because that green chili chutney is actually uh, made with green apple 
Oh, and I, I think I read that one. Yeah, that's one of your favorites, isn't it? I yeah. mean, the green apple just lends a lovely, lovely sour tone to it. But also what the apple does is, is it gives texture to the chutney. Yeah. So it gives a lovely depth. Um, so it's a lovely rich chutney that goes with the saffron. And, and you know, because um, the paneer tikka is so kind of rich, yeah. it's nice to have something that's kind of tangy and sharp and spicy. Yeah. Perfect with that's some naan. Well, I think you've given people tons of inspiration certainly I'm inspired Yay. to go and Google more from it um, what else have you got coming up what's what's happening this year apart from are you still on book tour now or? Um, I'm nearly done I've got a few food festivals I'm doing oh, events nice. cool. um, yeah and, uh, so that you'll be talking at food festivals yeah and also like doing demos as well so I'm at the yeah. big, big festival which is at the end of August on the bank holiday um, and yeah I'm just doing a lot of features which are coming out um, close to um, autumn brilliant so really okay. excited and then people can cut, uh, keep up with what you're doing on your Instagram cooking a curry on my Instagram cooking a curry on threads on threads if you're on threads um, <laughs> we're all still trying to work out what it is <laughs> I mean, I, even I am but you know what like, join me on threads and we'll all figure it out together um, we can chat and you know just um, yeah. you know online or even just if you want to check out the website or the app it's the app yeah well, let's mention the app because it is I've, it's one of my most used apps it's in, it's in my bar at the bottom <laughs> um, Monica's done this amazing recipe app uh, which has got hundreds thousands of recipes on there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got 700 recipes and counting. Yeah, and they're all great. So um, definitely worth checking that out. But yeah, thanks again for coming to chat to us today, Thank Monica. You for it's having been me, a pleasure as always. Absolute thrill to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.